it was said last year when, uh, when I introduced missions emphasis, but there's really no better place, I believe, to turn our focus uh, again to missions than following the act that really made us all missionaries. Maybe not travel to another country missionaries, but men and women who have repented and put God's will, His, uh, his will uh, first in our lives. And so those through obedience to God's call enter into God's mission. We enter into God's mission to save his people in the world. This is the beauty of what God has allowed us to do through his son's death and resurrection. God's mission, his ultimate mission, is to redeem the whole of creation. And the mission of the people of God is to be agents of God's blessing, agents of God's mission to the nations. And so over the next few weeks, we are going to be launching into uh, Missions Emphasis Month. We try to spend some time each year uh, looking at the ways that we can interact with our missionaries and our ministries, and then also ways that we as a church can be missionally minded people. And so this month, we're going to look each day or each uh, Sunday at a different element of missionally minded people and the ways also that our missionaries, our ministries are currently weaving those things into the fabric of their daily lives. And ultimately, the reason for that is that it's our desire, should be our desire, to declare effectively the life, sharing in the life of God's Son here on earth. And ultimately, how those, uh, that's being played out in the lives of the people who call Jesus their Savior. There's really no ultimate benefit to a man or woman to purely have a theological mission in life. That's to say that a structured set of beliefs around mission with actually no gumption to go and to do something or to move on it. And many Sunday morning churchgoers, I believe, have come to a head knowledge of faith. We have a basic understanding and the implications of needing to proclaim the gospel and the good news. But far fewer, however, have decided it's their responsibility to do so. And for some, their theology, theology of mission, this thoughts behind what it means to go, allows us instead for the imitation of culture rather than the imitation of Christ. Under the guise of things like relational outreach, for others, it also equates to an unbalanced expression through love of meeting purely earthly needs. Paul told us in Romans, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this word is true. However, how does someone get there? How do they get to the point where they know they need to ask for Jesus? They need to ask for his help, especially if our mission in faith remains cultural or theological or even worse, purely theoretical. Thankfully, Paul clarifies for his readers and ultimately for you and I today that the, the, uh, the solution to this is also the foundation of faith and practice for all believers. And he says this, how then will they call upon him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And this is the model 
that we need as believers, as missionally-minded Christians, to live out and to give honest attention to, to move from a theology of mission into an actual practice of mission. And so we're going to spend some time over the next month. Uh, Today you get a whole sermon from me, but in the weeks ahead you'll get a short idea of some of these other ways to be missionally minded. How do we move from a practice of theology and mission or into, from a theology of mission into a practice of mission. And so the necessity for each of us to engage in sharing in the life of the Son through actual faith and practice, as I said earlier, I want to focus on these areas and give concerted effort towards as we see God glorified through this fellowship here at State Road Church uh, on the corner of State and Hale. This week, we're going to look at prayer in length. That's my hope, rather than in short, because it has, is uh, in nature foundational. It's necessary in the place of a, uh, of a, uh, a missional believer. And I want to I touch on that this morning and see uh, how the Lord might be prompting us individually and together as a church to be praying more intently uh, in mission, not just for our missionaries, but in mission for each one of us as well. Now, I doubt that any of you, uh, if you're a Christian here and you've joined us today, uh, are looking at this or going to feel like you're going to be surprised with, uh, with anything that, I'm, that I have to say, right? We all know about prayer. We all, I think you all feel that there's a necessity to pray. But I think if I asked all of you uh, to raise your hands, and I don't know, I, don't, I won't make you raise your hands, but it, do you want to have a better prayer life? Do you feel like you could do more when it comes to praying to our God and our Savior? And I think if we raised our hands, we would see that most of us feel that we are inadequate or we're missing something when it comes to our prayer life. We were talking in my small group last week uh, about some obscure Old Testament stories, and uh, they were some pretty crazy ones, actually. But, uh, but prayer isn't that, right? It's not some obscure, crazy Old Testament theory or story that nobody's ever seen in the Bible before. But it's a topic sometimes that we don't take up, we don't encourage, we don't invest enough time in, even though it was the tool that God gave us to reach directly into the authority and power of Jesus himself. As a a, uh, youth worker and as a father, actually, probably more intently, I've heard the question, I've heard the refrain come over and over from my own kids. I, I just don't know how to pray. And I mean, we, I work on it with my kids. We try to develop habits of prayer and how to pray. But sometimes they say that. I, I just don't, I don't know how to pray. And I've heard that for students as well. And I don't think this is an issue just with our students. I think with adults, I think there are many of us that struggle with the idea of how do I exactly pray? I would contend that many of us maybe uh, struggle with the idea of how to pray, but I think the bigger question is why we pray. What is the purpose of prayer in the life of a believer? What is the purpose of prayer as we seek out God in our day-to-day lives? And then ultimately, at its base, what really is prayer? 
Prayer, according to the New City Catechism, is a pouring out of the hearts of our hearts to God in praise and petition and confession of sin and thanksgiving. And so if you desire, if it's your desire to share in the life of the Son, to be more like Him, I want us to first establish this necessity of prayer through Christ's example of prayer. There's a necessity of prayer, and if we desire to share the life of the Son, to be identified with Jesus as, uh, as, our, as these young folks were just last week in the baptismal uh, tank, right? They were identified in his death and his resurrection. And so if we want to practice in the life of the Son, if we want to share in the life of the Son, what does it look like in Christ's example when it comes to prayer? Matthew 14, 23 says, And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up, to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But then Luke three twenty one also says, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. Luke five fifteen through 16. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered near to him to be healed of all their infirmities. But he would withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Mark 1.35, and rising very early in the morning, this is one I struggle with, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and he prayed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, three different times, he goes back to pray to God about what was on his heart. And I could go on and on and on about these different times that God invokes prayer and blessing during his, missionary, uh, his uh, ministry time here on earth. See, Jesus demonstrated for us the necessity of prayer for you and I as individuals, not just looking to Jesus and what he accomplished in his relationship with God, but that we also should mirror that in our desire to have a deeper relationship with God. And I doubt any of you here would say, well, you know, Jesus' prayers, I mean, they really weren't necessary. I mean, he was God, Jesus is God in the flesh, right? And so if that's the case and we don't truly believe that God's prayers, Jesus' prayers were unnecessary, then there must be a necessity for us in the prayers that we offer to God as well. Jesus still sought connection with the Father. And he did so in a way that for us should model should model this idea of, this aspect of missional living, both because before and after, sometimes in the midst of Jesus' work, he would slip away to pray. It was the foundation of his work. The busyness of our lives, the things that we seek to do for God, are they bathed, are they founded in prayer? So we need to develop rhythms of consistency, intentionality with our prayer lives. And today I want to look at four reasons that prayer has impact in hopes that knowing more about why we pray will help us to develop how we pray. There's a, uh, there's a guy on social media that posts a bunch of those uh, uh, how to be a man phrases. You, ever, you know what memes are? Anybody know what memes are? Okay. 
So they have these things, this, this guy, he posts how to be a man type phrases. Apparently it's to celebrate our strengths and maybe it's our weaknesses, but he posts things like this. Can't fix something? Chuck a wrench. Anybody here? Can't fix it? Okay. Uh, fall asleep watching TV? Get mad because someone changed the channel. Anybody, anybody like the room? Okay. If you can't find what you're looking for in a store, don't ask for help, walk out. Amen, right? <laughs> I don't know what the deal is with this one, but I was in Lowe's just the other day, and someone came up to me and said, have you found everything you're looking for? I didn't have anything in my hands, and I said, yes. <laughs> what gives? What gives with our desire, or I don't know what it is, but this idea of not needing help. As much as I know his posts are in jest, there's some truth in them, isn't there? And I don't think this is just for men alone. If there's anything more demoralizing as a parent, it's when my children don't ask me for help for something that I'm fully capable of and that they lack these skills and ability to do. It's often that mindset that keeps us from prayer for ourselves and for others. This idea that we can do it on our own. Lord Ravenhill, an English, he's a wicked cool name, uh, Leonard, Leonard Ravenhill, an English evangelist who often spoke on prayer said this, prayer is another way of telling God that we have all confidence in Him, but no confidence in our own native powers. N neglect of prayer is an effrontery to God, for by it we are saying that we have confidence in the flesh and we can operate the spiritual life on a do-it-yourself basis. Strong men, self-strong, neglect prayer or sometimes slight or ignore it. And therefore, show their self-esteem and their near independence of divine help. But weak men cry to God. Because God's strength is guaranteed and is made perfect in our weakness. As a father, I don't often look at my children's weakness as an annoyance. But instead, as a wonderful opportunity to employ the strengths that God has given me as their dad. It's pleasing for my children to come to me with their concerns just as it pleases God when he hears your cries. Proverbs 15.8 says that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is a delight. See, the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, isn't found anywhere in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it's not, it's not a Bible verse. In Revelation 8, John explains that God sees your prayers to him as an offering. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Our prayers are pleasing to God. Your prayers are pleasing to God. In his book, Announcing the Kingdom, the story of God's mission in the Bible, 
man named Arthur Glasser asserts that prayer is the fundamental is fundamental in the invitation of the Spirit's work when referring to Paul's missionary practice. He says this, the enemy in people's minds and their cultures has to be resisted with the authority and power of the resurrected Christ. And James Stewart clarifies that a little bit in his book, The Life and Teaching of Jesus Christ, and he stresses prayer must ever be the heart and center of all true religion and the dynamic and driving power of the best and noblest living. For each believer, we must center our mission upon God's, through God's, uh, through God's constant communication, through communica- constant communication with God. There we go. Because communication develops relationship. Communication with somebody develops relationship. Right? If you were dating someone when you were of dating age, if you never spent any time calling them on the phone, getting to know them, developing a relationship with one, with one that you love, communication develops relationship. As a pastor, I've had a lot of opportunities, occasions to invite people to my home. Jess and I love hosting people in our home, and, um, and we like to get to know people. And when we first came to State Road, we had a great opportunity to do that. And, and as people move into our community, we try to take opportunities to bring them into our home so that we can know them better. Sometimes it's a single person, other times it's, it's families, all kinds of spectrum of people that come and fill our house with laughing, crying, conversation. And often these conversations last through the chaos of all the sounds of our kids interacting or a movie playing in the background, all this stuff happening, pushing us much past uh, children's bedtimes or the times that we would normally even go to sleep ourselves. But it all starts each time with an accepted invitation. Each time those conversations starts, it's an accepted invitation. It'd be a different scenario if I told them that you had to come to my house. Pastor Greg and Elaine, you have to come to my house on Tuesday. You have to. No, really, you have to. It would be different, right, to tell somebody you have to come. I I hate feeling like, hey, Pastor Andrew, I need something, and it's like, oh, what's wrong? You know, if I, so if I were to do that to you, what would you feel? How would you feel if I told you you had to come and meet with me? It's different when we accept an invitation. But conversation following an invitation looks much different than conversation that follows an obligation. When we realize that God has invited us close, he's invited you close to him, and that we indeed need him because of our sin, it's his desire to have a relationship with us regardless of it. And because of that, our conversation with him should look different. Now, those folks who came with their kids, they could have told us no. Easy as that, right? However, they could have also lost the chance to get to know me and my family. It's their move. The invitation was open and the desire was made known. And for each of us, God has gifted us with and he's instructed us in prayer. And so as we verbalize our praise, our petition, our confession, and our thanksgiving, we begin to build intimacy with God and that develops trust. 
We begin to develop intimacy with God, and that develops trust. God is inviting us into relationship with Him, and prayer is one of those things that develops that relationship. So God's move is to invite us close. What's our move? What's our response to God inviting us close to Him? Ultimately, it should be surrender. The Bible says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is one of those ultimate, total, upside-down, shock kind of teachings from Jesus. Holding on results in failure. Losing your life. But letting go results in success, gaining life. If people I invited over said, sure, we'd love to come over, you can meet us at our house on Friday at 5 p.m. We'll be having a ham dinner with potatoes and green beans. Okay. Is it possible to still develop a relationship with somebody like that? Yes, I, I think it would. But it would be awkward. It would be lopsided because of desire for comfort and control in the person that's invited. God asks us to let go of what we think is our safety, what we think is our surety, what we think is our comfort, and to fall squarely into the saving hands of Jesus. Jesus himself taught us to pray in Matthew 6.10. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, prayer isn't about moving God. It's about moving us. Aligning ourselves with God's will and not our own. Many of us Jesus followers looked at Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, sorry, many of the Jesus followers before, the, uh, before um, Christ was sacrificed, before he was crucified upon a cross, they looked at Jesus as if he was going to be the Messiah. But the Messiah who would be a king. And you need to understand that they wanted him to overthrow the Roman occupation and to bring Israel into a new golden era. And many thought and expected that on Palm Sunday, Jesus was coming in to claim that title. To come in to acclaim his authority and to acclaim his power. Yet when he arrived in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday... His plan was to actually come and die for you. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11 demonstrates the transforming power of submission to Christ through prayer and saying, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. You've heard that one, cast all my cares upon you. There's a good song about it. Casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while by uh, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
See, prayer has the power to change us. Prayer has the power to change you in his time. Lay your burdens at his feet because he cares for you. As I've been developing relationships with um, different missionaries and ministries over the past year, both local and global, that we support here at State Road, I'm always impressed with their consistency and their desire for prayer. Prayer not only for themselves, but also for the mission that God has put them on, and then also for you. Many of our missionaries, many of our ministries also say, how can I be praying for your church? How can I be praying for you, Pastor Andrew? Because they have a desire to know that God is working not only where they are, but also here. They live out the portion of Romans 12, 12 that says, be constant in prayer. Not a day goes by, I don't think, that I don't receive a text or two from uh, our brother Roberto Alvarez. He's serving with Prove in Guatemala, and uh, Prove is continuing the, through Roberto, is continuing the work of Neighbors First there as the community development leader. And just last week, Roberto reminded me of the relationship-desiring, character-shaping God we serve as he prayed this with me. God, I love you, and I want to keep you first in my life. Show me how to better prioritize you and not take you for granted. Thank you for being with me and giving me strength. Free my heart from selfish motives as I choose to focus on you. We pray for you. Many blessings. Roberto takes the instruction to pray constantly to heart, and he's put it into practice in his life. He expects that it will change him. He expects, I believe, that, he believe, that, that his prayers are a blessing to God, that they are sweet fragrance to his God, and he persists in them. Another ministry constant in prayer is Operation Christmas Child. You guys, I believe, know that last year we became uh, the uh, Roosick County Collection Point. And I've learned more and more about how that organization works over the time that I've been with them. One of the things that they do is in each region they have somebody that is focused on prayer. That is their volunteer position. is to bring the other volunteers in the, in the, in the region to prayer Usually as we head into the week before National Collection Week, the, week, the month of October, uh, 31 days leading up, they pray each day. There's a group on Facebook, they get together, they pray. Sometimes we also uh, go on a Zoom call and we pray together as we ask God not necessarily just to work in the hearts of the people who receive boxes, but also in the hearts of those who are preparing them. The prayers of these folks at Operation Christmas Child are much deeper than just praying that the box will get there. And they have desire, they know the power and authority that they have through prayer that Jesus has given them. This year, our region has decided to be in constant prayer, not for the last 31 days, but instead for the last 31 weeks leading up to Collection Week. And they were challenged at... Um, at the Global Connect Conference this year, to think big. And so our regional, uh, our regional coordinator, her idea of thinking big was not a massive media campaign. 
It was not doubling down on financial giving, but instead was to dive ourselves deeply into prayer. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it in thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray for us also that God may open to us the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on which account I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Prayer has the ability to sharpen each one of us for the work that God has in store ahead. How many of us get up every morning, we open our phones or our laptops, our tablets, we turn on our TVs, we start picking away at the daily tasks as routine, thinking we need to get right to work processing the content around us rather than stealing away, as Jesus did both in the morning and at night, stealing away to be quiet with the Father, to know Him more and to bring Him joy. We don't have time to pray. We're simply too busy to pray at the moment. We'll fit it in later. But Paul urges us to be steadfast in prayer, to be watchful in it, watching for distractions, watching for laziness, watching for false teaching, Jesus, just as Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. You and I have the opportunity as a sending church to stay and to watch for many who have gone and who are going for the sake of the gospel. Praying is essential for opening doors, for making clear the speech of those who are going and who are actively pursuing the ministry of God in their places. And we have the opportunity to partner with them and do that. Eli uh, Melendez, he's the chaplain down at El Buen Pastor. Uh, we sent a team down in January to Mexico, and he was, uh, he was one of the gentlemen there that worked with us uh, during, our, uh, during our brigadas, our health fairs. And his job was to go and to preach the gospel to people who came through. But one of our prayers for Ellie was that he struggled with the idea of evangelism initially. He struggled with the idea of going and talking to people, even if they necessarily didn't want to talk about Jesus. And so through the Brigada, one of the, one of the desires that we had, Craig and I had, was that we would minister to Ellie in a way that would encourage him to have a desire for those around him. And so Pastor Ellie uh, recently just shared with me that he decided to start a church out of the clinic. And he asks for our prayers that as they establish themselves with a mission to serve the migrants that pass by each day, that we would go and be in prayer with him. Entire families at times, he said, pass by hungry, thirsty, and sick. 
And they have a desire to do something, but they're not sure exactly what it is or how yet. And so they're seeking God in prayer that God would direct them, that God would help them, that they might know how to answer each person. And we've been invited into that prayer. We've been invited into seeking God in their mission thousands of miles away. These are the encouragement, encouraging words that we have from Paul to the church in Colossae that we can know these things. We can have these things through the powerful use of prayer. In the foyer, there's some ministry cards. I think I have one up here. And if you didn't get one on the way in, you can get one on the way out. But it says, sharing in the life of the Son, prayer. And on the back of it, it has uh, nine, nine or so of the current missions and ministries that we work with. And on that, it has the, some of the leadership of each of those, uh, the, each of those ministri- missions and ministries. And so, put this in a place where you'll be reminded to pray. Because we, we got a lot of stuff going on in our day-to-day lives, don't we? But what is God calling us to? What bigger picture is he calling you to today for the sake of these who have already gone and are going? Not that you can't be one of them one day. Maybe that will be the case. And we'll pray for you. And we'll pray with you that God would open doors for the sake of his word. The deacons and the pastors of this church, along with other leaders, have been asking God lately for big things. We are seeking God's direction for us collectively as a church, and then we are also asking God for revival here in our area. And what it even looks like to be a church in the midst of something like that. The deacons, we've been pursuing the book of Acts together, and I'd invite you to take time and invest in prayer in the book of Acts as we look to pull in one direction together for the glory of God's kingdom, knowing that it's going to take time. I think sometimes we hope that prayer will just happen. God already knows what's on our hearts. And so prayer isn't moving him any faster than he's ready to move. But God does desire for us. It's pleasing to him to hear the needs of his children. And in his time, he'll provide. The Chinese bamboo tree is one of the most remarkable plants on the earth. Once the gardener plants a seed, he'll see nothing but a single shoot coming out of the bulb for about five years. It's just a little tiny thing. However, with daily food and water, during all this care for this plant, it'll only grow about an inch over five years. But at the end of five years, however, the Chinese bamboo will perform an incredible feat. It will grow to an amazing 90 feet tall in only 90 days, a foot a day. And so we ask ourselves this, when did the plant actually grow? During the first five years or during those last 90 days? The answer lies in the unseen part of the tree, the underground roots. During these first five years, the fibrous root structure spreads deep and wide into the earth, preparing to support the incredible heights 
that the plant will eventually reach. And so if we want, if we want as a church, if you want this with us, to see the kind of movement that we're asking God for, we're going to need this kind of resilient root. Ones that are created by hearts that are conformed to Christ through diligent prayer individually and together. These prayers are a pleasing aroma to him. As his bride, the church unites together with shared conviction about the advancement of the gospel, both here and across the globe. Acts 13, we see the church in Antioch gathered, and in the verse 1 it says, Now they were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And in gathering, they were worshiping. They were fasting. They were praying. And it was revealed to them that Barnabas and Saul would be sent out. And what was the response of the church? After fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they sent them off. Prayer is the deep roots of faith that connect us both to the living water and together. The church is not merely resigned to pray while others go, but instead it's where together we take root to reach the incredible heights that God has for us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. That, Lord, you gave us the opportunity to pray to you. And, Lord, many of us, maybe we struggle with that, that basic idea of, I don't even know how to pray. Or maybe it's deeper. I, I, why do I pray? Or even deeper than that, I don't, I don't want to pray. Lord, I pray that you would correct our hearts and our thinking. It would help us to see that you ask us to pray with whatever we have. You don't desire lofty words or speech but you do desire the prayers of the righteous, however simple they may be. But Lord, I pray with one heart and one mind that you would help us to faithfully begin to unite in prayer together as a church, that Lord, you would be glorified in what happens. We don't know what is about to happen, Lord, but we are praying that it will. And in doing so, I pray, Lord, that that would be pleasing to you that we're seeking you out, but we're also taking steps of faith, knowing that you'll be there to hold us. Lord, we know that prayer, we know that prayer changes us. We know that it's pleasing to you. We know, Lord God, that it has to be consistent. It has to be a persistent part of our, our faith walk as missional believers. That we step outside of ourselves and what has to happen today and tomorrow. And we look towards what you have in store for us together. That, Lord, we would pray big prayers. That we would pray for things that, that are way beyond 
what we could ask or imagine. And so together, Lord, we pray for change. Pray for your spirit to move. And we pray that you would change our hearts to be willing to move with it. Lord, thank you for the chance to praise you today in song, in prayer, in the study of your word. And I pray that as we go, You would help us to start a conversation with you that never ends. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever. Amen.